When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. As the dust settles, the sun rests and then rises again on a grateful universe. Johnny Gaudreau is now a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets, signing for under $10 million. What? 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 Earthquake. Fire the cannon, Julian. Fire the cannon. Can we actually... uh, actually put in the sound of the Columbus uh, cannon, because I think that would be very appropriate. It is a bombshell. It is a big deal in the hockey world, because uh, we all know uh, the first day of a free agent frenzy brought about many, many a deal, but none quite as surprising as that one. Why is Johnny Hockey Johnny Columbus now, CJ? You have to tell the people why. Because he's long admired the Blue Jackets organization. I, I actually think in our in our search for deeper meaning in in this decision i think we're going to miss kind of the obvious and I, I don't mean that it's obvious and that a whole lot of people were predicting this uh in fact on free agency day I, someone whispered in my ear at like 7 30 in the morning while texted into my phone you know keep an eye on columbus and i i not that i dismissed it but i thought like oh wow we're going to really be on one today if that's the rumors um but, you know, upon sort of further looking at things, you know, he was looking to get back east uh, towards family, which is something that's sort of been out there as a thought for him. And the Blue Jackets were one of the teams that appealed to him. I mean, look, not everyone in the east would have had the cap space to sign him to a $9.75 million contract. Uh, you know, he's signing long term. It's got to, he's, you know, his wife is due to have a baby here in the next few months. And he's got to be somewhere his family's comfortable with. And, a place that could pay them. And, and you're really, when you look at it, there are only a handful that could sort of meet those needs. And, and, you know, Johnny was quite comfortable with the idea of becoming a blue jacket. So, you know, I think at first the blue jackets themselves might've been a little surprised when they learned of it, but you know, I, I don't think this is like, we don't need the Brian Windhorse, like what does it mean kind of thing going on? Uh, because I think what it really means is the guy wanted to live on the East coast, he thinks the Blue Jackets are going to head in the right direction. They could pay him a contract he liked. It's a great city to live in. And, uh, yeah, here we go. Wait, so there's one point in your last answer that's sticking with me. 
Johnny Gaudreau has long admired the Columbus Blue Jackets organization. I had no idea that he did. It, was that something he brought up yesterday? Was that something? Is there other clues that 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 led to that? Like, I, I'd like to know uh, about how much Johnny Gaudreau has, how long he's admired this organization for. It's still a bit surprising. Well, you know, as I've dug into it, that's something that's come up. It's just that he liked playing there. There's that that funny, you know, gift going around of him uh, getting scared off by the cannon during a warm up while he was with the the Flames. Um, you know, he's good friends with a guy named Eric Robinson, who's been part of the Blue Jackets organization. I have to say, too, like, I don't know why Columbus gets sort of pooped on so much. Like, I actually really don't get it. Like, I, my only guess is that a lot of people haven't been there uh, because it's it's actually really quite a nice little city and um, like a great food scene. You know, obviously for young people, which most NHL players are, there's there's good bars and restaurants. You know, it's it's a college town. And it's, it's a great place to raise a family. So, um, you know, like Rick, Rick Nash went and played there and, you know, while he went and played in Manhattan after, like he still calls Columbus home and, you know, he's got the financial means and this was even before he got hired by the Blue Jackets again, but he, he could have lived anywhere. Um, you know, so I, I think that Columbus gets a little bit of an unfair shake, quite honestly, especially from the Canadian media. Uh, Cause I don't really get it. I've traveled to all the NHL cities. Actually, I've never covered a game in Seattle. I've been to Seattle personally. And Columbus is, it's got, it's got much more, if you're judging a book by its cover, it's, it's actually st- still in the a decent part of this. You know, it's not rough in any way. It's not scary. It's not dangerous. Um, yeah. So I think part of this is the surprise is the perception of Columbus broadly seems to not really be in line with what Columbus is, at least in my view. My, my thinking is just with the players who have played in that organization and, uh, and have eventually left the organization. I think of a guy like Artemi Panarin, who was there for two seasons and decided to go to New York. And I understand, like, if New York is out there, like, you know, of course. But it, 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 they've, never, they've never come across as a market that teams were clamoring to go to. Right. Well, we got a salary cap, right? I mean, let's not that too. look past it. In a world without a cap, if all 32 teams could just bid what they want to pay Johnny Goodrow, he's probably not ending up in Columbus. But I think you could say the same for most of the players that signed everywhere on day one of free agency. Like a lot of a lot of these decisions get driven by a triangulation of what you can get paid, the needs the team has, you know, maybe some some personal connections, especially for the, the free agents that have leverage like Johnny Goodrow did. And you, you sort of triangulate those things and, and make the best decision you can. Um, you know, and I think it, it's a good reminder in free agency. This is an individual decision for a lot of players too. Like, you know, you can go back and, and we can question why anyone's motives are, but I mean, this is where he's comfortable. And, and um, you know, it's going to be an interesting one to reflect on. I, I actually thought back to that Panarin free agency um, because three years ago, it was the Blue Jackets in that spot. Uh, They were stretching themselves a little bit, probably beyond their comfort zone, trying to keep Panarin just as Calgary was trying to keep Goodrow. Um, They were were willing to go to 13 million a year for Panarin in 2019. And he ends up signing 11.6 million in in New York, which, you know, it's not like it's a a huge difference, but still they they were willing to pay more than what he took. The same scenario happened here. Calgary was offering 10 and a half million on an eight year deal, 84 million total bucks. And he's taken what sixty eight point two five, I think, uh, on this deal. Um, you know, it's he's it's like a losing sizable, like fifteen million. Sizable difference in total money, but 
I don't think this was a financial decision. This was uh, this was a lifestyle and family decision. So uh, how close were some of the other rumored teams in on this? So I'm thinking of the New Jersey Devils. The New York Islanders were mentioned as well. Philadelphia was also floated. How close were those teams really to Johnny Gaudreau? As far as I can tell, the Devils were the next closest. And, you know, it's hard to, in reverse, it's hard to handicap these things because, you know, there's not a lot of incentive for anyone to be too honest about everything. Um, you know, but Philadelphia was never really in the game. That's something Chuck Fletcher mentioned to reporters down there, you know, at his press avail. They just didn't create the room. They, they looked at trading James Van Riemsdyk. They obviously bought out Oscar Lindblom. Uh, but they they never had the cap space um, to to make something like this even get possible. So I don't think that got serious. You know, the Islanders, we know who their general manager is. It's it's a bit of a lockbox. But at a certain point early in the afternoon, word started to circulate that they were out. And at that point, the Devils and Blue Jackets were still teams considered to be in. And so, I you know, I don't have a play-by-play of exactly how it went down. Um, but it would seem to me the Devils were, were probably the runner-up here, best as I can tell. And, you know, they certainly had a desire for him. That they, they pivoted later in the night. They went inside Andre Pilat, um, you know, which is not the same thing as Johnny Goodrow, but obviously, you know, that's a $30 million contract. It's, you know, it's a significant commitment from them. Um, and so, you know, they probably wouldn't have had the money to do both, I'm surmising. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that that's kind of the run of play there. And, and a lot of this was just dictated by the fact that, that Goodrow himself had Columbus on a short list and Columbus was interested. You know, the Blue Jackets had tons of cap space. Now, all of a sudden, they got some decisions to make. You know, there's negotiations ongoing with uh, Patrick Laine, who's a restricted free agent. Best as I could tell there, they've not been close. At one point, someone said there's a canyon between them. Um, you know, but, but you know, I still think there's room to get a deal done with him. And maybe there might be a little bit more incentive for Patrick Laine to to get a deal done because, you know, having someone like Johnny Goodrow setting you up sure, sure helped Sean Monaghan over the years. I know they had a mutually beneficial relationship, but if you're a great shooter, you want to be playing with someone who sees the ice like Goodrow does. And, you know, I could see a lot of potential for uh, a line, a uh, Goodrow, uh, you know, line built around those two. Yeah, seriously. I mean, having those two players, great goal scorers on your top line. I mean, that looks pretty good for Columbus. Uh, I, I mean, got to admit it looks pretty cool. This is so good for the NHL. Like, look at look at two of the biggest names yesterday. Claude Giroux goes to Ottawa. And, you know, obviously there's a personal family connection there. His wife's from there. He spends his off-seasons there. But, you know, Ottawa on this day is getting to put out its chest and, and sign a big free agent. And Columbus is getting to put out its chest and sign a big free agent. I mean, two of the more maligned fan bases in the league at times, you know, certainly in the Senators' case, they've been to a real downturn. Like, for years, it just felt like, Every decision was made to, to save every two cents they could. You know, obviously the, the trading of Mark Stone and Eric Carlson going way back, but it, everything just seemed to be about doing it, you know, operating on a, a really crazy small budget. Whereas now this offseason, the Senators have been, you know, one of the great stories for me. I mean, they're the one who splash out and get the brinket. You know, they, they find a way to, to offload 75% of Matt Murray's cap hit. They, they, they make a bold move with the, the Talbot for Gustafson trade. Um, you know, they're in talks to, to acquire a defenseman. Um, you know, they might not be a true cap team, but they're on the way to certainly spending more real money on players, actual players in their lineup, not just dead contracts and all that stuff than they have been in years. And, and they're going to be better on the ice. And so I think the same could be said of Columbus. I, they're still a little ways away, but 
Now you look at this, I mean, Goodrow's a game-breaking type of player. I think he's got six most points over the last eight seasons in the entire NHL. So he's one of the most productive offensive players in the game. Um, you know, they still got a decently solid blue line. Uh, Elvis Merzlikens is a good goaltender. I mean, they've got, they've got some parts here. And I think that they're not long for getting back into being a team sniffing around the playoffs in the Metro Division. A great day uh, to be from the city of Columbus or just from the state of Ohio. Uh, not the same if you are from the province of Alberta, notably in Calgary. What do the Flames do now? Brad Living looked beside himself at that press conference uh, amidst all the free agent frenzy stuff on, on Wednesday. But like, what do they do with their roster now? What, what do you think is next for them? The one thing I like that Brad Tree Living said is we, we can't do anything at, in a direct sort of correlation to this. It can't be a reaction. It can't be going and allocating that cap space somewhere else that would have gone to Johnny Goodrow. I mean, I, I think there has to be almost a reimagining of what the team can be. Ultimately, it might lead them to the decision of, of dismantling a little bit. I, I don't think they're there yet by any stretch. They have to see where talks go with Matthew Kachuk, what he wants to do. Um, you know, but there's no getting around it. That This was an awful day for the franchise uh, in, in the moment. But the, the great news is, Julian, sometimes something beautiful grows out of a difficult time. Like, like there's, there's opportunity here, too, because, yes, they lose a franchise icon. Um, you know, had they signed him for $10.5 million for eight years, I think they would have to continue to be all in on trying to win. That might not have been the best strategy. You know, I'm, I'm, we're sort of playing the sliding doors game here. Um, we, who can know for sure? But that might have led them down a path that didn't get them where they want to go. And, and who knows? Maybe this, this results in some sort of pivot and, um, you know, they, they find it an even better tomorrow. And so, you know, I think the immediate thing they have to do is figure out Kachuk. You know, he's got a qualifying offer in front of him. It's $9 million. It's a one-year qualifying offer. He has until July 22nd at 5 p.m. Eastern time to decide if he's taking it. Of course, he's going to take it if they haven't negotiated another contract since because that one-year qualifying offer, first of all, $9 million is a raise for him or it's a good, good amount of money for him. And then it walks him straight to unrestricted free agency next summer, or at least the possibility of it. Uh, I imagine in the meantime that the Flames will double, redouble their efforts to seeing about signing him long term. Uh, and then we go from there. But, you know, Kachuk's in a, in, you could not be in a more advantageous position than he is. He just came off the best year of his career. He's got this qualifying offer that he'll be happy to play on. You know, he can just sit and watch and see what the Flames do and listen. And, you know, I think the truth is you're just not replacing Johnny Goodrill. There's just no way around it. Not not by a free agency, not even by trade at this point in time. I think that, um, you know, it might be a step back before a step forward in Calgary, but, you know, they're still, they're still, they're still getting organized after the earthquake. Like they haven't, they, I don't think they've, they've charted their path or figured it out just yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel for flames fans who, you know, I mean, this was a team that I genuinely thought, was going to go on a deep run this past postseason, and then they lose the way that they did to Edmonton. And I wonder if they had won that series, if that would have made any difference at all in Johnny Goudreau staying in Calgary. But he's gone now, and he's I, in club. Like I feel, I feel, I feel like bad for Flames fans. I feel like if they won the Stanley Cup, if they got to the Cup final and lost, if they lost in round one, I don't think it's a different outcome here. I, I really believe this wasn't about him not liking Calgary. Like, I, I think he's going to, you know, we haven't seen his remarks yet, but I think he's very sincere in everything he said about Calgary, that, that 
know, he's part of that organization for what, 11, 12 years. Um, you know, one of its best individual performers ever on the ice for that franchise. You know, he grew up there, but, you know, he's entering a different phase. You know, it reminds me a little bit of John Tavares. I mean, it's, it's not a perfect comparison, but, you know, when Tavares moved back to Toronto, it came at a time when he was, him and his wife were starting a family. You know, it's maybe some of his priorities had changed. It was his first chance to dictate where he played, essentially. And, you know, he chose the comforts of literally his hometown. I think for Goodrow, there's more comfort being on the East Coast, closer to family. Again, him and his wife are starting a family. And, and you can imagine the Ida need there. Like, it's an opportunity. Like, the one thing, play, like, I don't, I don't blame any – if a Flames fan is pissed off about this, that's fine. Like, you've earned that right. You invested your energy, your time, maybe your money and, into caring about, you know, Johnny and the team. And, and if you're angry, you have that right. But in general, I would instruct people to, to take a step back and remember, a player has to play at least seven years pro hockey to even get the chance to choose another team. You know, Johnny Goodrow this season had to play out the final year of his deal. Like, if he got injured this year – Maybe he's not signing a $68 million contract in free agency. Like if it was a serious enough injury, uh, like he, he had to take a certain degree of risk. He had to bet on himself. He had a marvelous season, 115 points. And he set himself up for this, this opportunity. So on a human level, I don't think we can blame someone for doing that. You know, I, I think it's a career is short in pro sports. You only get probably one chance to make this decision and, and, you know, he had to get it right. And so I, I don't think, there's really anything Calgary could have done. Calgary did everything you would want. I mean, they offered the man $84 million, uh, you know, in, in the NHL on one guaranteed contract. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, Julian. Um, I don't, I don't think we can doubt their commitment to him or trying to make this work. It's just, you know, Johnny had to, Johnny had control of the situation and he, he chose what he wanted. Yeah. That's exactly what he did, CJ. Um, it's time for us to uh, do our You Can Bet That segment with a sports interaction. David Bastel's not with us, but uh, CJ and I, I think we're capable of, of handling it, even though uh, CJ is very clearly in summer vacation mode. I tried very hard not to acknowledge your outfit. I was going to say, how point. deep are we in the pod? And you haven't even mentioned how ridiculous my I get. tried to just, just let you cook, man. <laughs> bucket hat seat. For those listening, he's wearing a white bucket hat. The sunglasses are on. There's a palm tree behind him. He's wearing this like summer, like short sleeve, like blue shirt, like CJ. CJ just doesn't give a damn today, clearly. Well, let me tell you, it was a busy week or whatever leading up to free agency, obviously, since the draft. But I had to go acquire props to make this happen. So, oh, my God. You know, it's not oh like I had all this stuff God. on hand just around the house to, to put on. So, I'm, I'm a, you know, you got your Stanley Cup prop over your shoulder there, your Muhammad Ali picture on the wall. I'm out here getting goofy props because I am in some vacation <laughs> mode. Okay. Let's, let's get to sports interaction before we really get into summer vacation mode here. Uh, if you play sports interaction 19 plus, we ask that you play responsibly. And there is a link to responsible gaming strategies in the description of this show. Johnny Gaudreau obviously wasn't the only move uh, that took place on Wednesday. A lot of different uh, addresses changing for some other players. Siege, what other deals stood out to you the most on uh, Wednesday? How do you define stood out to me? Like surprised me or like, because I think you can Could dig into like you can dig into su some surprising contracts, but I, you have to get in the weeds through that. You know, like seeing Charlie Lindgren, it's a great story. Played only five NHL games last season and, and has a handful on his resume. He gets a three-year deal to be the Capitals backup. 
1.1 million. Well-earned, had a long AHL playoff run too. But, you know, that's maybe one that's surprising. Or Matthew Benning getting a four-year contract in San Jose. He's never had that kind of security before. The Eric Gabranson deal got a lot of uh, attention. That was the first big deal in Columbus uh, before Goudreau kind of wiped it out of everyone's mind. But he, him getting four years and four million, that's a surprise. Um, you know, maybe a little bit surprised to see Palat move on from the Lightning. Just because that organization has has been able to do such a good job of of not having that happen with their sort of core guys. And, you know, obviously 11 years inside the organization, he's played for just one coach his whole career, John Cooper, starting with him in Norfolk uh, back in the AHL days. Uh, So that'll be a big change for him, you know, going up to New Jersey on that five-year contract. Um, You know, but I I can kind of like, if we look at the bigger players, I, you know, nothing there really, really surprised me. I mean, I guess because we knew about a lot of it, you know, we had, strong indications that, that Campbell was going to Edmonton and Kemper was going to Washington and even that Andrew Kopp would sign in Detroit. You know, maybe the term on, on Vincent Trocek's seven-year deal with the Rangers surprised me a little bit. Um, you know, the term was how they made that that deal work, though, because it, it kept the AAV under $6 million. And, you know, obviously the Rangers are are gearing up to be a team. I mean, they're, they're contender now. They, uh, you know, had a, had a pretty long playoff run. Um, you know, and, and want to remain one for the, the, the foreseeable future. Um, but, you know, it was a pretty sensible day. And I would say if there's a general observation of the market, that the middle class got squeezed pretty quickly. And, mm. you know, there's some pretty good players as we're recording this that are still unsigned. I look at a guy like Nino Niederreiter, for example. Um, you know, John Klingberg, I think the market wasn't where he and his agent would have hoped. You know, I think it's, at one point he was hoping to get a seven-year deal on the open market. I'd be surprised if that was out there for them now. Um, and so we're just seeing the effects, the, the, the run-on effects of a, a flat cap. I know it's boring to say. The cool thing is, is the expectation is in a couple of years, we're going to see a big jump in the cap. And then we'll probably see all sorts of like wacky looking deals in that moment. It'll seem crazy. Money will be getting thrown around everywhere. But, you know, it's still a pretty sensible day, all things considered. And it's not a comfortable spot, I can tell you. If like, It's fine for Nazem Kadri. He takes an extra day or, or however long it takes because he's, he's making a decision. He's, he's going to be OK. But if you're sort of in the middle class or the third tier of free agents, uh, it, it gets uncomfortable really quickly because there's just not a lot of money out there um, for contending teams to spend. At the risk of our podcast sounding dated with when it comes to Nazem Kadri, as of this morning, when we're recording, still available out there. I just have this weird feeling he's going to go back to Colorado considering some of the teams that have taken themselves off the board with some of the free agent signings they've made. I'm thinking of like a Rangers or a Detroit. I wonder if he ends up just taking whatever money is available left to him in Colorado instead of going somewhere else. Well, that's the million dollar question or maybe $50 million question, depending on what kind of term Nazem signing, but you know, it, the one thing that he's he said from the beginning and, and meant it that he, he was hoping to do a deal with with Colorado. Now, that's a tough thing for them to do that. You know, they re-signed Nichushkin, they re-signed Josh Manson, they extended Arturi Lekkinen. Um, you know, so they spent some money keeping some of the, the, the key parts of that cup team together. And I, I just don't know if there's enough there for Kadri, because remember, they're also going to sign Nathan McKinnon here to an extension that doesn't kick in until 2023, but it's going to be a a big jump on what's been a huge value contract in the league for years on McKinnon. I mean, he, he might make twice as much on the next deal. And so, you know, it's hard to know, but the way the sides have left things is that the, the Kadri camp would sort of check in with the avalanche. 
if it was going to make a decision, maybe give them a last best chance to, to stay, that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, you're right. There's the, some of the obvious landing spots did go, go away on them. You know, I, I wondered about Detroit uh, just because it was so close to its hometown of London. They had a need, uh, you know, trying to build out a much better second line, which I think they've done with the moves that they made, you know, Andrew Kopp being the most notable among them. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it, it's a good spot for, for Kadri in some ways, because I think he, he gets a chance to digest it. Uh, it's, it's so hard for some of the, the guys down the market though. Like they're, they're making a call on where they're going to live in some cases, you know, in a matter of minutes or, or an hour. Um, and so, you know, if you're one of the top players in the market, I think you can get a sense where you're going early, but then everything kind of unfolds like a cascading set of decisions from there. And, and um, you know, I, I would say Kadri's still in a fortunate position, even if there's not a ton of money out there, because he's going to end up with a great contract and playing somewhere he's comfortable with. Seattle, Calgary, maybe as a consolation prize. Anybody you know, else in those sweepstakes? I don't know if Calgary has the money. I mean, like they could do it. Don't get me wrong, but they have less money than it looks like if you, you know, dial up Puckpedia or Cap Friendly, um, you know, because they, they got $9 million that you would think is earmarked for Kachuk. I would say Manje Pani's deal, based on people I've talked to, is probably ending up somewhere five to six range. So for just round numbers, let's let's even say it's the low end of that. That's still $14 million. They have still have Oliver Shillington to sign. And at that point, you got, what, three or four million left over. Now, maybe there's a trade to be made or another way to make it work. I'm sorry, certainly not saying they can't do it, but it's, it's, not, it's not maybe as apparent or as easy as it looks if you, if you just look at one of those, those sites. Now, the other part, too, is that, um, you know, Kadri has to want to go there. And, and you know, I, I don't know whether he does or he doesn't, but we do know for a fact he was traded there in 2019 and refused to waive a no trade clause to go. Now there was other factors that time. I think he was still hoping by blocking that trade, he might stay a leaf. Um, but, but in the past he, you know, he had a chance to go to be a member of the flames and wasn't. So yeah, there's, there's not a lot of other, uh, you know, open spots. I, I could see Seattle doing it, but they also made their own signings, right? They, they gave money to, to Burakovsky in free agency. And so you know, it's it's uh, it's getting late early, I'm sure, but you know, I, I'm I'm confident he's got a couple offers that he's looking at, and it's just a matter of figuring out what's best for he and his family. Another move I I that stood out to me, and I understand that uh, it was kind of not really telegraphed, but a lot of people were hoping that it would happen. It ended up coming to fruition. Klojenu going uh, to the Ottawa Senators, uh, the arguably the most notable person to ever come out of Hearst, Ontario. Yes, that's a shot at our friend Pierre Lebrun. Uh, but yeah, him going to the Ottawa Senators and looks as if he might be able to at least play out the twilight of his career relatively close to home. By the way, Hearst and Ontario, nowhere near close, like 11 hours between Hearst and Ottawa. Like that's that's a lot. Like, how? what do you do in Hearst? I don't have an answer to that. I mean, we, we need to get Pierre on the pod for a lot of reasons, but... Uh, we should. You know, I think... I think it's like a lot of places you, you play hockey or, or sports. I mean, it's an outdoorsy place, but it's, it's far. I, I've never been up that far, right? I've, I've literally traveled around the world. I've been to Russia like five times and I've never been to truly North, what people would say Northern Ontario. So, you know, it's, it's a place, even if you're from Ontario, you don't necessarily get to, I mean, you know, obviously you could visit for, I guess you could take a trip up there if you were into camping or fishing or whatever, 
or, or, you know, some people see it because they drive across the country and it's the way to get the Manitoba is going up and around the Great Lakes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's far away. A lot of people in Hearst end up in Ottawa. You know, Hearst is a Franco-Ontario town as Pierre Lebrun mm-hmm. is, as Claude Giroux is, so they speak French. Ottawa is a, you know, bilingual, pretty bilingual city in Canada. So uh, I do know a lot of people from Northern Ontario end up in Ottawa. Pierre himself went to Carleton University in Ottawa. So um, there's a lot of ties between the two places. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's up there, bud. It, it's a, uh, we should take a road trip there. Maybe we got some CJ show fans up in Northern Ontario. I was about to say, if we're taking a road trip up to Hearst, Ontario, that is going to be a very fun, uh, bus ride at this point. You have to get the entire SDPN in one of those big sprinter buses driving up to Hearst. If people yeah. are out there. Among the SDPN crew, who would we have drive that bus? Like, who would we trust most to, like, get us places and not get lost? And Jesse or Adam? I'm I don't want Jesse. to know. Jesse, Jesse might be the person. Adam might drive a little, like, eh. Jesse. I'll say Jesse, final answer. He's just the most responsible person at the SDPN. Yeah, like, I feel like if, as long as you have Jesse there, everything's under control. Everybody else, like it's just it could turn into Lord of the Flies, but Jesse will just keep order by just his his mere presence. Is it kind of funny that none of neither of us considered Steve at all for this? Oh no, no, <laughs> no. we just said no. I, I, mean, I, I love Steve, but no. He's got his name on the network, and he's got he's got his legion of followers, well earned. But but I'm not putting him in charge of anything else. No, absolutely not. Okay, but but Claude Giroux going to the Ottawa Senators, that's still a pretty cool signing, capping off what has been a great offseason for Pierre Davion so far. Yeah, it's a seal of approval signing. That's what it is, right? It's 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 proof that what the Senators have done and, and plan to do is, is being seen the right way because Claude Giroux could have went and played for teams that had a much better winning percentage than Ottawa did last year that have maybe much higher ambitions of winning a Stanley Cup. And I think by him going there, it shows that he thinks that they're closer than maybe it might appear if you only just were to sort by the NHL standings the last few seasons. And you can see why I would think that. they got some great young players on organization. I know it hasn't all come together to this point. Um, you know, they, they feel that they've gotten a goaltending position solidified now, I think, with Anton Forsberg and, and Cam Talbot, you know, a veteran to kind of stabilize things there. In my view, they still have to improve their blue line, and that's something Pierre Dorian is, is trying to do. So, um, you know, I, I, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. I'm, I'm certainly not predicting they're a Stanley Cup contender next season, but in a very difficult division, the Atlantic, they, they've they've definitely taken a step forward with their group. And, you know, I think Giroux means a lot just sort of intangibly, uh, but, you know, he also scored, what, 0.8 points per game or something in that neighborhood last season. So he's also he's going to help he's going to help their team in, in a direct way, but, I, but it, it means something. I don't know if you saw the, the video. He had his son, Gavin come into the Canadian tire center yesterday when he signed his contract, like that video, first of all, it was like three minutes of just nothing but wholesome content, like taking his son around, like seeing the Zamboni, getting a hug from Sparta cat, um, you know, being part of his press conference that he had with the reporters there, but it's, it's also, you know, let's give these organizations their due and especially their fans that have been through a lot that they get to celebrate getting a player like that. I think, I think it's really cool um, for that franchise and, and it's, it's great for Claude because he's, you know, he does make his family home there in the, in the off season doesn't have to move come September. He's just going to be staying right where he is. Yeah. I, I like it for Ottawa because just with what they've gone through over the last how many years with trying to rebuild this team to get back into being into the playoffs and, 
obviously all the behind the scenes stuff with with Eugene Melnick. Uh, it's been a bit of a weird time to be an Ottawa Senators fan and to see the product on the ice get to a point where they actually look pretty cool. Like, I don't think they're they're a cup contending team all of a sudden, but I do think they're going to be a fighter for a playoff spot next year. And that's great. You've got to take them seriously now. Right. And, you know, I think they've been trending towards that, you know, this last season just didn't go the way they wanted. You know, I think that they thought they were ready for that step this last season. It didn't happen. Uh, but now the way they're operating, it feels like it has to happen. It feels like they're, they're, there's an urgency from the front office, make, you know, bringing better players in, and, you know, I, I have to believe that's going to flood into the dressing room and on the ice. I mean, who knows what results will be? I mean, so often the teams that we say like win free agency or win the offseason don't win enough games the next year. It doesn't always equate. It doesn't always come together in the right way. But I, I do think that they put themselves in a position where they've earned our attention. And let's see how they can let's see how they build this thing out. And again, I don't think their offseason is done by any stretch. I mean, they traded Connor Brown away on Wednesday to, to Washington. Uh, for a second round pick, you know, they're well armed to to make a subsequent move on the blue line. And, and what that is, I think, can help dictate the, the success of the operation because they just weren't deep enough in their top six last year to really compete with, you know, the, the heavies in the division, the Tampas and the Bostons and the Torontos. Um, but, you know, I, I think that they should feel better about their their position now. One other team I want to focus on, the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, they were quite busy yesterday. Uh, they end up getting Brent Burns, 37 years old. Uh, and I believe the Sharks are retaining some of his salary as well over the duration of that contract as much as left as on it anyway. And uh, they get Max Pacioretty essentially for free, even though yes, Vegas needs the clear salary, but they get a 30-goal scorer for free in Max Pacioretty and Dylan Coughlin also involved in that deal. What do you think of what Don Waddell was doing in Carolina yesterday? This is one of the best run organizations in the entire league. I, I don't know how anyone could conclude otherwise. Uh, and I know they haven't, you know, won anything of, of consequence, you know, under this regime, but they've consistently now been one of the better regular season teams. They've been right there in the playoffs when they lose a game seven to, to Boston uh, this past year. And I just think that they don't do things in a conventional manner. You mean the Rangers, we, not Boston, Carolina. Carolina lost to Boston in game seven. Oh no, the Rangers. Sorry, yeah, the Rangers. Yeah, they ah, beat they, they beat, beat Boston. Boston. They beat Boston in Game Seven. They Thanks. lost to the Rangers in Game Seven. I Thanks just noticed. For correcting that. my CJ Holiday brain. Um, no worries. But the point of the point stands here, though, that they they don't take an obvious approach to anything, and so they negotiated with Tony D'Angelo, a restricted free agent. It wasn't getting to where they were comfortable paying. They unload him to Philadelphia for three draft picks. They you know had some interest in keeping Vincent Trocheck and Nino Niederreiter at a certain point, but they let those guys go to market. And guess what that did? That allowed them to have the cap space to make the kind of trades that they made. They also went and tried to get Mason Marchment too. And, and I, I think that they believe they had him at one point. And, you know, let's, let's call this as it is. I mean, Mason Marchment, no one could be in his shoes. You know, he's lost his dad in the last week. He's facing a, you know, a big career decision. You know, he ends up going to Dallas where he knows the, the coaching staff well, and I think will create a comfortable environment. But after that, the Hurricanes are able to pivot. And, you know, you add it all up and they're it's like they're playing 3D chess because, you know, even the, the Burns deal, you know, they're getting him. There's some risk there with his age and it is three years, but it's 66 percent of his, his contract. So it's not the full hit. They, they really didn't give up a whole lot. There's a goaltending prospect and a fourth liner, Stephen Lorenz. 
uh, and a conditional third round pick. And remember, they picked up three extra picks for D'Angelo already this offseason. They get Brent Burns, who I think will fit in great with their structure. Uh, then they go, and, and the deal you, you talk about with the Golden Knights, I mean, it's just a cap dump, but it's a cap dump of a good player. Max Pacioretty still a good player. And they get a 24-year-old defenseman that they like in Dylan Coughlin, right shot. You know, we'll see what he becomes. But this team just seems to always have great defensemen. Like, they, they, they play so well structurally. And, you know, they've, they've managed to lose Dougie Hamilton, but, you know, find ways to replace him. In this case, they lose Tony D'Angelo, find ways to replace him. I, I think that they deserve a whole lot of credit for the way they do business. I know some people don't like it because they're, they're more reluctant than others to say, give out big long-term contracts. Like they're willing to let you move on if you're not willing to play at their price, but they just consistently find good players and find creative ways to patch holes. And then they get Andre Kasha at the end of the day, Julian, one and a half million dollars. I realize there's risk there. He's been very injured. He even had, you know, a concussion at the end of last season with the Maple Leafs, but they get him at a contract. They didn't even outbid the Leafs for him. Like they lured him from Toronto for the same deal the Leafs were offering. So you know, I, I think there, there's just a lot of good that's happened there. Sort of this is example of a product of a lot of good small decisions lead to, you know, a much bigger successful piece. And that's that's what I see the organization as. And, and I think they're going to be a top team next year. Yeah, I, I mean, they've been a top team the last little while. I don't see them getting any lower than where they're at right now. I see them probably even getting higher. Yeah, that Andre Kasha deal. Some guy on TSN announced that. I'm, I'm trying to remember who it was. Must have been Pierre Lebrun. Yeah, must have been Pierre Lebrun. <laughs> uh, what about the Toronto Maple Leafs? Uh, a lot of talk about their goaltending situation the last few days. They get Matt Murray and the whole Twitter world in Toronto goes aflame. Then they get Ilya Samsonov and they sign him to a one-year deal. And that's not so bad, but they essentially have two reclamation projects in net. What do you think of, of how Kyle Dubas has rolled the dice with these two goalies? Well, it depends how you define risk, right? Some might define risk as giving a five-year deal to a 30-year-old goaltender in free agency. And that's what Edmonton did by signing Jack Campbell. And that's what Washington did by signing Darcy Kemper. And, you know, what the Leafs essentially chose is, is just to not participate in that market, to not be, be part of that. And time will tell if it was a smart decision. You know, none of us know with certainty now. But what they did instead, I think, is at least somewhat sensible. You know, Ilya Samsonov is a first-round pick. He's 25 years old. He did have a season in Washington where he had a 913 save percentage. So, you know, he's shown he can do it in spurts, and he certainly has a lot of pedigree. Um, it didn't go well for him last year. And so you get him on a one-year deal at less than $2 million. I mean, there's not a lot of risk in, in that deal whatsoever. And, you know, the Matt Murray deal, I think that some of the conjecture around it is misplaced. The Ottawa Senators had another deal for Matt Murray in their back pocket. They were only retaining 25% of his salary in that second deal. They were only retaining 25% of his salary in the original Buffalo deal that got nixed. And they were only mm -hmm. going to ever get to 25% of his salary with the Leafs. And so the Leafs take him at 25%. Um, I realize why there's, there's categorical risk here, but he's, he's 28. He's younger than Jack Campbell. He's younger than Darcy Kemper. And he's only two years left on the, on the contract. I think, I don't know if this will work out. I agree with anyone who says that, the front office to a certain degree is putting its jobs on the line with this set of decisions because it's that important to them. Um, but I, I can understand how they got to the place where they made those choices. And, you know, really the bet comes down to these two guys with upside that are younger on, on shorter, less money contracts versus a more established player 
who's who's older who could be you know fall off a cliff at some point uh, you know performance wise could have injury problems of their own you know locking in on five years and so I think with where the Leafs are at it's sensible but now they got to make it work they got a new goalie coach in Curtis Sanford and if it doesn't work they will be second guess rightfully so you know Kyle Dubas has never quite got the goaltending mix right uh, with this team uh, a lot of his decisions at that position just haven't worked out for for various reasons and so there's a lot of pressure to get this one right, but but I understand how they got to it. Absolutely. Also, any final thoughts on on Edmonton? Uh, we know we've kind of mentioned a few times that Jack Campbell has moved on uh, to Edmonton. Evander Kane also staying with the Oilers as well. Uh, yeah, any general final thoughts uh, before we move on to other topics with the Oilers? I would say it was a sensible free agency for the Oilers. You know, they keep Brett Kulak on a four-year deal, $2.75 million. He was really steady for them after he came over at the deadline for Montreal. That's a sensible move. That's not a get crazy with the money or term kind of move. You know, even Evander Kane, you know, a little over 5 million on his deal, four-year cap, four-year commitment. That's not crazy, right? There was, there's people out there saying Evander Kane needed a seven-year deal. Well, that, that to me would never have made sense, but, but a four-year contract with how well it worked for him. Um, you know, I think it's a sensible approach to free agency. And then, you know, there, there's definitely risk involved in the Campbell signing. But let's take the other side of the coin that I just took for the Leafs. I mean, the Oilers have tried the last two off-seasons to get a goaltender. They tried on Jacob Markstrom in 2020. They tried to trade for Darcy Kemper in 2021 in the summer. They missed on both. This this time, there was no option. You know, uh, Mike Smith's not able to play next year because he's, he's so banged up physically. Um, you know, Koskinen's moved on to Switzerland. They have Stuart Skinner, who they like, but... You know, it's still a bit of a question mark about what kind of load he can handle and what he's going to give you. And so they had to get, I think, a more solidified position there. They did a lot of homework on Jack Campbell. That much I know. They, they talked to Zach Hyman. They talked to other former members of the Leafs organization. And they're comfortable with where they ended up. You know, I think it's all around it's sensible. Um, and and I, I actually like their their free agency. I think I think they did pretty well. Now we'll just see. Can they move on from Yessi Pugliarvi? I know there was talks for them to maybe get Connor Brown before he went to Washington. I'm not sure that they're fully done done there, but you know, on a day when teams make a lot of mistakes financially, I don't think they made any clear financial errors. Oh, that's well said. Actually, I lied about that being the last thing. There's one player I just want to mention, uh, just because he's staying in the market that he's staying in, ruining any opportunity of him doing a heel turn going to Washington or or some other market that would have seen him in a different uniform. If Genny Malkin staying in Pittsburgh, why did it play out the way that it did? It looked as if he, he had wanted, I mean, it, it was getting out there that he, he, that he obviously wanted terms his way with Pittsburgh. It really looked as if he was going to test the market and go somewhere else. What happened? Well, these sides played hardball with each other. That's what happened. I mean, the Penguins didn't just capitulate and say, hey, you're a franchise legend. We'll, 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 we'll give you a piece of paper. You write down the numbers and we'll sign it. Uh, they had a true negotiation with the player. And, you know, the player subsequently got upset by that, as is his right, and, and said that he's going to test market. And then when, you know, the emotions went down and, you know, they found a path to a deal. Um, you know, I think it's life as it should be. It makes a lot of sense. I think Evgeny Malkin in his heart, didn't truly want to go somewhere else. And, and ultimately, I think when you're a player and free agent, you have free agency, you have to be really honest about what out, outcome you want most um, and what's what your priorities are. And so, you know, we'll see how things go down. He's got a no move clause in there, but you know, we, we, we have a scenario now where you might see Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang play their final years all out together, basically have 
entirely shared careers with one organization. They won three Stanley Cups together. They, they you know, lost a, a fourth chance at winning the title. They won a whole bunch of games. They have the longest active uh, playoff streak. It sort of feels like how it should be. You know, three pillars of that organization. I don't know how much longer they can sustain it. Every year, I think this is the year they fall off. Every year, Sidney Crosby laughs at God's plan and, and somehow wills this team to, you know, to, to getting back into the playoffs. Um, you know, it's it's clear they don't have a contention window forever, but they've, they've they can at least talk themselves into one for for another season. If you really think about it, for the Pittsburgh Penguins, these last two years, if it wasn't for goaltending, they probably win like at least one or two rounds in each of those years. And Crosby's injury against the Rangers. I mean, I, I think he was so for that period of time, he was back to being sort of like peak Crosby. And I think you see this with a lot of great athletes or like special generational athletes as time goes on and, and, you know, some of their skills fade or their abilities dim, you know, they can still summon it in moments. I mean, Tiger Woods won a masters, for example, kind of out of the blue after everything he'd been through, like it, it can come together for periods of time. And unfortunately for Pittsburgh, it was coming together for Sidney Crosby. He was a wrecking ball in that series. Like nobody could stop him. And unfortunately he got injured and left the series and, and they didn't find a way to, to win games to keep, you know, allow him to get healthy and get back. Uh, but I, for me, you're right. Goaltending two years ago, especially, but last year or this past playoffs, I think a healthy Crosby and they got to the second round at minimum. Exactly. Busy time in the free agent period for a lot of these different teams, obviously still ongoing. Uh, we'll be obviously updating it as long as we're doing episodes before the end of this season. Uh, but yeah, uh, guys like Gazem Kadri still very much out there as of this recording, but uh, entirely possible that could change. A bit of a tough transition here, Siege. I uh, just want to take some time to acknowledge uh, the latest development with uh, Hockey Canada as they uh, released an open letter to Canadians on Thursday morning, really early Thursday morning. And essentially the biggest note from that open letter is that Hockey Canada says that they are reopening the investigation into the alleged assault uh, that they say was perpetrated by members of the 2018 national junior team. I say, they say they use the word uh, specifically perpetrated. Uh, Hockey Canada also says that they will require all high performance players, coaches, team staff, and volunteers to participate in mandatory sexual violence and consent training. They will also conduct a full governance review of Hockey Canada. There's a few other things in the note as well that again was released very early Thursday morning. CJ, what do you think, what are your general thoughts on the letter and the fact that Hockey Canada is reopening that investigation? Well, it's a sign that they've heard quite clearly the concerns that stem all the way up to the top levels of government in Canada, but, you know, have also been voiced by a number of other Canadians and people that, you know, are around this story. You know, I think another part of the letter, Julian, that's worth highlighting is they say they're going to reopen the investigation here that participation with a third party investigator, that participation will be required by all members of the team and anyone who chooses not to participate will essentially be barred from any sort of hockey Canada related activities and presumably national teams down the road. And so, you know, this is an acknowledgement that they didn't do enough on the first go round. Um, you know, I don't think they can change that. I'm not going to clap for them and say, good job, but I, I you know, you also have to acknowledge this, this does seem like there's some tangible steps in here that aren't just words that aren't just a press release. This is the opposite of what we would call a news dump in our industry too. 
you know, by releasing it at 6 a.m., everybody can digest it for the entirety of the, the day, right? I mean, it can be properly covered in any way that any media outlet would wish to cover it. Um, and so I think that this is them having more transparency into their process. You know, we'll see what becomes that investigation. I, I still don't want to speculate on what the punishments might be, who the, the, the players are. I don't think that's entirely fair at this point in time. Um, but, you know, it's a sign that they've taken it seriously. And look, at let's call it as it is. They, they were given no choice. Like they're, a number of their top sponsors pulled funding. And, and they were, again, questioned, you know, in the House of Commons. So, you know, at the, the top levels of leadership. And so they, they, they were forced to get to this position, but, you know, they, they did get there. And, you know, let's see what comes next. Yeah, we'll have to see that. I will say this, though. I mean, to your point about Hockey Canada realizing they had no choice to do this, and perhaps this is a little bit more sincere than just putting out a press release, we have to also acknowledge this does come after all those sponsors either pulled out or just withheld their funding. There is that out there as well. That has to be acknowledged. Sure, and there's a World Junior Tournament coming up in August in Edmonton, so in, in their own backyard. And so there's there's a need, I think, to figure out how this is all going to go because you can't just cruise into that tournament and pretend nothing happened. Uh, it's not that this year's team, I'm not meaning to directly link it to whatever happened a few years ago, but you know you, you can't miss that the same people are in charge of, of running the, the two programs. And so uh, you're happy to see this. It had to happen. And, and you know I'm going to reserve more sort of judgment on this until we see what comes of it next because it's it's it, it feels like a real actual step in the right direction but you know only time will will tell and reveal to us if it was yeah and just like you it's it's really tough to speculate on what the punishment will be for this sort of thing i prefer i think i'm going to prefer just to wait it out and see what it is but i am very intrigued about what that punishment is going to be uh, but we will follow the story as long as it is out there and as long as we are able to cover it. So, yeah, we'll definitely uh, I'm glad we were able to take a few moments uh, in the show to talk about it. Bit of a tra- tough transition out of it, but uh, a very necessary story to discuss. And we are nearing the end of the show. And I know we have stick taps left to do, but I would like to know, uh, since this was your first ever free agent frenzy with uh, the red team, you spent a lot of time with the blue team. Oh, the sunglasses are coming back. Um, what was it like for you? Uh, oh, the bucket hat is coming back too. Okay. So mm-hmm. so vacation. I, I just mentioned the fact that the show's almost over and CJ is already getting himself back into vacation mode. What was it like working with TSN yesterday? It was awesome, man. Um, what a well-oiled machine. Like these guys, it, I don't want anything to be misconstrued like I'm throwing shade at Sportsnet because I'm not. And I, worked there, I worked there for nine years. Like I, you have to understand, I, I love my time at Sportsnet. They, they gave me opportunities I've never had had previously in the industry to be on TV, to be part of trade deadline days and free agent days. Um, but I, I do have to say, I just feel very comfortable uh, having made that switch. And, and look, it comes after working there for 10 months uh, or 11 months, whatever it's been. So, you know, naturally I feel comfortable, but I just, I'm truly impressed by how organized they are. Um, I mean, we like order our lunch in advance and it comes with your name on it. Like, just like everything is just like, it's it's like they've been doing this for a hundred years and it's cause they've been doing it for a hundred years. I, I love how Bob McKenzie just rolls in at a semi-retirement and just drops bombs everywhere. Well, 
at least giving the outward impression and that's even like me sitting beside him the entire day that he's he's only working at quarter speed because that's that's where he's at in his life but he's earned that chance but you know he's still breaking some big stories you know he was the first one i believe to say on air that to connect goodrow to, to columbus um it was earlier in the day it wasn't a saying he's going there but it was he was the first one to start to float that and of course that becomes the biggest story of the day well after we're off air but you know he's always planting the seeds um you know just just uh a real pleasure to work with those people and honestly it's it's been a great season with with them uh, i'm really grateful for them having me on the team and and um it was it was it was a cool day you know i, I think we did okay on you know it's hard to evaluate today because when i'm in it uh, you're just so focused on the minutia and you're hammering everyone with text and whatnot. Um, but it felt like we had a pretty good day getting our share of the the news and uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. What did you think of the kids with those sticks? The, the, the ones who were flipping the, the pucks around the ones from Waterloo or whatever? The Klein twins. The they Klein were, twins. It was insane. Like to see it in person is actually nuts. Uh, like someone said to one of them, I think it might have been off air. Like, how long do you practice? And it's like they used to practice for hours a day to get to the point to do that. Um, yeah, look, and I get it's it's sort of a, a distraction, a gimmick, but like it's a long day. I think the one thing we none of us should take any of this too seriously. Um, you know, obviously we take seriously trying to get the news. We're trying to be first. We're competing. You know, with with Kevin Weeks and Emily Kaplan and Frank Cervalli and everyone out there that 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 breaks news. Obviously, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick at Sportsnet. But we're all in the entertainment business. We're all in the business to some degree of selling hockey and selling interest in, in the National Hockey League. And so uh, I, I, I like seeing those kids in there. And honestly, it's, it's insane that they can do that. But just, just further proof, if you spend enough time trying to do something, you can, you can master it. Also, one thing I, I was hoping would happen during the Trade Center broadcast, and I don't think it happened at all during the free agent frenzy. And I understand because you're busy trying to break trades and free agent stuff. I would love it if TSN would just let you do like a skit or something. A skit? Yeah. Dude, like you barely even want to go to the bathroom on a day like that. Like you don't, <laughs> and not to be weird, but I just mean like even at one point they came out to take our picture. Like there's like, I guess probably a promotional in-house promotional photo. And like, it's annoying to have to like sit up and pose for a photo. Cause like, you're so into it. And we have one job, right? Like there's a lot of people on that set. You got Ray Ferraro and Mike Johnson and, and Cheryl Pounder and, and Haley Salvian. And, and like, there's a lot of people, Carlo Koliakovo entertaining around our bit, but our bit is very specific at that table. Like we are just trying to get news. We are literally just trying to figure out who's signing where and for how much and what, what it means and relaying that to, you know, to those around us. So when that's your job and, and there's so much happening, there's, I don't know what the final total was on signings, but it was a lot um it's it's hard to even think about doing anything else so skit we'd have to tape the skit in advance is, is my point i guess and, and maybe air it during the show but there's no way bob mckenzie would be part of a skit and he he sets the tone for our entire group i don't see any problem with like recording that skit like before the show like y'all like what if you guys did like uh you ever see the movie anchorman yes like do like recreate that scene uh, where they have all the different anchors from all those stations like fighting each other and just have all those different people you just mentioned who sit at different tables all come together in some like fight to the death outside like the TSN parking lot. That actually would be awesome. I feel like 
Like I know Elliot well enough to say Elliot would be down for like he's been <laughs> he. I'm not saying for an actual fight, but he would be he would be in for like taping that. I, I doubt our bosses would be down for it. Yeah, but but if we went rogue and did it on our own, that'd be pretty good. That'd be hilarious. Like I think the hockey Twitter world would love you. Speaking of the hockey Twitter world. Uh, I don't know if you realize, I think you might have at one point, but uh, I decided to take a photo of you uh, during your, your broadcast when uh, you were talking about Andre Burakovsky signing with Seattle. And I, I put up the caption, which prominent hockey insider is this? Wrong answers only. I uh, saw that our to- fans showed up because there's a few PJ Stock answers in there. <laughs> I clearly listened to the last episode. Oh, man, I loved it. A lot of people say PJ Stock. One one guy in particular, Aaron Hempel, I don't know, but he signed my Bruins hockey puck for some reason. That was so good. <laughs> um, someone suggested you were uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, the uh, ESPN uh, reporter uh, for the NBA side, a different sport. Um, Nicholas Cage, uh, someone said Nicholas Cage. A lot of people suggested Ewan McGregor. AKA Obi Wan Kenobi. I see the uh, resemblance. Is that a compliment? Do you think? Or yeah, why wouldn't it be a compliment to be? Why wouldn't it be a compliment? I don't know. I don't. I don't know if there's like some because you're, you're you're meant to like help me with the the pop culture aspects of the world. So I don't know if there's like come some on. You don't know what Star Wars is? I didn't watch any of the new ones. No. What do you mean? Any of the, what, did you watch any of the old ones? Yeah, when I was a kid, like the original Star Wars, I saw. Um, but I didn't, I didn't watch the newer ones that came out. Okay, fine. So you haven't watched the ones with Ewan McGregor in it, nor have you watched the actual Disney plus series, Obi-Wan Kenobi that has Ewan McGregor reprising the role. I know you don't believe me. I'm not kidding. I have not watched a movie in years, like not one single movie. I still can't believe that. Like, like it's not an exaggeration. I'm not like saying that, but like, oh yeah, I went last week and saw Top Gun Maverick or something. Like I literally have not watched one in years. If there's one I want to watch, it's actually the, t- the new Top Gun. Yes, uh-huh. go watch Top Gun Maverick. Again, not a promo. We don't have any ads with them or anything. Yes. Go watch Top Gun Maverick. Well, maybe that'll give me something to report back on when we have our summer episodes, because I think the hockey news is going to get pretty quiet here pretty quick. So maybe maybe, maybe I'll we'll turn to like CJ and Julian's pop culture corner. I love that idea. This has this, we should do this. A pop culture corner plus uh, we take in questions from everybody, just literally anything that doesn't have to do with hockey, anything you want. We do that as an episode. We're building that episode. We'll we'll figure that out. Um, Merlin Olson. I don't know if you know the name Merlin Olson at all. No. Former NFL player uh, suggested by, by Michael Russo, uh, my colleague at The Athletic. And funny enough, someone said uh, you look like Michael Russo, which is weird. I don't think you do at all. I saw Mike Michael said something like that's that's bad for CJ or something like that. So. Yeah, that's it. Uh, the best one though, I mean, I know we had PJ Stock there, but the best answer by far, smart insider man. Do you remember that? I remember that. Smart insider man. You are the actual smart insider man. The the, the silhouette, uh, the photo and all that. People wondered for years the identity of smart insider man. It is you, sir. You are smart insider man. Do you know what I want to see in the comments? What do people, what? wrong answers only, what do I look like today? Oh, we, we could do that. We can do that. Let's get a screen grab. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take a photo of this right now uh, of what... Yeah, I'm just going to do it. Uh, wrong answers. Who does CJ 
look like right now? I already know um, at least one person got an inside look at uh, at that. And uh, they look like you look like some low life from uh, who lives in Florida, essentially. That's what they were saying. That's the vibe I'm going for. So it's not totally, totally off base to suggest it. Yeah. Uh, shout out Sid Sixero, uh, who does his thing at Breakfast Television. Fan of the show. Big fan. Big fan of the podcast, friend of the show, friend of the show for life. All right. Um, I think with that, all we really need to do is stick taps now. So uh, who do you give uh, your stick tap to uh, for this week? I'm going to give it to Pierre Lebrun, Darren Drager, and Bob McKenzie, my teammates at TSN. A little bit of a sentimental one, but they've just been awesome to work with this year. And, and you know, I will say the one part about free agent frenzy is it feels a bit like the last day of school when you're there. Mm-hmm. Like literally, it, you know, the show ends and, and the cameras go down and then we all just like, well, have a great summer. Um, and, you know, maybe in, in the case of one or two of them, I might see them. But the truth is, you know, maybe not, too. And so that was a it was a great end of the year. It was a great first season for me with with TSN. And uh, I even bought Pierre and Darren a bottle of wine to thank mm. them for uh Although Darren wasn't in studio, unfortunately, he, he didn't test positive for COVID, but he had some symptoms and out of just uh, being cautious, he stayed home. So his bottle of wine still sitting uh, with me, but maybe maybe it'll survive the summer and I'll give it to him in September or maybe uh, it won't quite make it to him. <laughs> oh, no. TBD, Darren. No, <laughs> you, bought, you bought it for Darren. Give it to Darren. Don't, don't, oh. don't be like, oh, it might not get to him. You still set it aside for him, but you, who knows what the summer might bring. You know, there might be a day where it just is too tempting. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I hope it's good enough one. Um, my stick tap goes to Yarmir Yager on a day of free agency where so many people trying to figure out where they're going to end up. Yarmir Yager still out here shooting his shot. Put out a tweet. NHL GMs, I am also free agent once again. 6'3", 265, 50 years old, slow, but strong in good hands. Can bring experience and like to play only home games. Call me anytime. Also, as the owner of Hockey Club in Czech Liga, I am looking to sign a defenseman. No jokes. Shout out Yarmir Yager for putting himself out there, man. Not an easy thing to do. I've been a Yager sort of fan for a while, so I I, I very much appreciate that. I slapped a retweet on that about 22 seconds yesterday. Oh, my God. Also, in the comments, how Gil, you know, think or two about being a defenseman, just saying I'm available. Hey, maybe he's down for the adventure in uh, the Czech Liga. But uh, I love that tweet from Yarmir Yager. Uh, he deserves a stick tap uh, for this week. Uh, thank you for adding a moment of hilarity amidst a wild first day of free agency. Yes, sir. Do you know what's crazy, bud? What? We're going we're gonna to talk on Monday again. Yeah. And then we might go quiet for a little while. Oh. It's kind of like the last school vibes hanging around here, too, for you, me, and producer Nick. Yeah. What are we going to do this summer? What are we, we going to do? Like, I don't know. We got to keep the group chat active to some degree. Yeah, I hope so. Like, I, I, like, chime, I like chiming into uh, the war room, as uh, I think Adam called it the war room. I like that name. I think we should go with it. Yeah, I liked it. Yesterday, Adam, Steve, and Jesse were all involved in, in the CJ Show group chat, so... It's uh, it's a fun place to be. Yeah. Also, something to think about, uh, you know, today is episode 88 of the Chris Johnston show. When it comes time for season two, we're going to have to start thinking of what to do for episode 100. Oh, wow. Well, we got some time to think on that. We do have time to think on it. Maybe, maybe we'll give things. away Darren's bottle of wine to a lucky listener. No. 
Give just, Darren his wine. I'm just kidding. You're not kidding. You you just said you'd think about drinking it for yourself. Give it to Darren. This is our Eric, this is our Eric Lindros episode. We're gonna roll out our Alex McGillney on Monday. I like oh, that. Man. I like that too. I like attributing the dump. I mean, we're only going to get to a point. We only have so many other episodes where we can only attribute uh, episode numbers to players. So yeah, I like that. Alexander McGillany. Also, he should be in the hall of fame. It's a ridiculous. It's ridiculous that he's not there yet, but uh, that's a whole other episode. Ryan O'Reilly. 91 is going to be tough, man. There's a lot of great 91s past and present in the NHL. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Exactly. With that, uh, that's going to do it for CJ show on this lovely Thursday. Siege, uh, clearly you are already in summer vacation mode. Go out wherever you need to go. I'm glad you're able to you know, at least stick through to the end of the recording this time, as opposed to what happened last week, Thursday. It happens, but it happens. I can't believe that was a week ago. But yeah, stay hydrated, kids, and uh, put on sunscreen. Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, get your questions in now uh, for Ask CJ. We'll get to those on Monday. Uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And for CJ, I'm Julian. So long. Peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at Reporter Chris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.